Amen. Thank you, Hang, and the worship team. I was uh, practicing last night, one last time with Janelle, and um, I, I kind of started to, to chuckle a little bit at the beginning here, and she's like, why are you laughing? And I said, because I, I really am thankful for Hang. <laughs> really am thankful for, for what he's doing up here. But I will say, there's nothing more humbling than having him and Ryan introduce you. So that was not the picture I sent you, but... Uh, so, my name is JT. Uh, Janelle and I, I think I know most of you, but if, if we don't know you, we've been coming to this church for about five years. Uh, actually, March of next year will be six. And I remember uh, on our first Sunday here, Mr. Matt Rumball was preaching. And at the time, we were also going through a pastoral transition. And uh, so I, I talked to him after, and I said, are, are, you, the, are you the pastor here? And he kind of threw up his arms in the, the only way that Matt Rumball can and said, I'm, I'm just a guy. I am just a guy. And now I find myself in the interesting position of also being just a guy. Uh, but we, we love this church. Our daughter was born in this church. And aren't you, aren't you grateful for God's goodness to Fairfax Bible Church during this time? We're going through a pastoral transition right now. We've been without a lead pastor since June of this year. And... We've seen this church grow in numbers. We've seen people come to Christ. We've seen people deepening their spiritual walk with Jesus. And I was reflecting on that as I was preparing for this, and I was thinking only Jesus can do a work like that in a time like this. Amen? Well, Thanksgiving is now behind us, which means we are officially in the Christmas season. And I say officially because I know in the Shaughnessy household, Christmas starts in September. But this is the first Sunday of Advent, so this Sunday and the next couple of weeks, we're going to be focusing on some different aspects of Advent. And like we've talked about this morning, we're going to be talking about hope. So we will be in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. And uh, I really liked, I think we've done this a couple times, I liked what Will did when he preached and we, we stood while we read the passage. So why don't we stand now? You can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read verses 18 through 25. This is the word of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we examine your word this morning, we look at Romans and this idea of hope. I pray that 
your words would be present, that we would remember who it is that we believe in and trust in, that you are our hope. We would gain a better understanding of what that means for us and how it impacts our lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. So we're talking about this idea of hope and what it is and what it means. And I I thought it might be helpful to kind of define it. And I looked up a a number of different human definitions for hope, uh, which I I won't bore you with. But the idea is that we we want something good to happen. We, We have an optimistic expectation of something good that is going to happen, right? We're looking forward to something. And I I thought it'd be good if we just kind of put some things up, and we'll have these on the screen, but some different things that we hope for, right? So the first one, I hope the Dallas Cowboys would win this week. And all God's people said amen, right? Maybe not this past week, but. Uh, Next, I hope my boss gets a new job, right? Very relevant to this area. We got a lot of uh, white-collar workers, or even if you're not white-collar, people have their identity tied up in their work and what they do, especially in this area. The next one's very similar to it. I hope the political candidate I vote for wins, right? Again, we live in Washington, D.C. Politics are a hot topic here. We hope that the person we support will prevail. Next one. I hope the sound system works on Sunday morning. And Hang said amen, right? (laughs) And I said, amen, I've been there too. Uh, This next one, so I I hope my neighbor stops throwing wild parties on Friday night, parks his car on his side of the street, and keeps his dog under control. You get a glimpse into my sinful heart with this one, right? This one's a little bit more serious. I hope we get pregnant. Or I hope my dad starts talking to me again. I hope my sickness goes away, right? Right? There's all kinds of things that we hope for, whether they're superficial desires like your sports team winning or whether they're the deep longings of our heart. But whatever it is that we hope for, you can kind of boil them down into three overarching themes. And and the first one is we hope for better. Whatever our current set of circumstances is, be it good or bad, when we hope for something, we're hoping that it's going to be a better outcome, right? The next one, we hope for what we can't control. If I have control over the situation, there's no real need for hope because I can just exercise that control and things will be better. And then the third thing, we hope for what hasn't happened yet. And that might seem obvious, but if we are hoping for something, clearly that's not our current state. It's not our current situation. So as we look at the text this morning, we're going to examine how Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome proves that, and this is our big idea, only Jesus can provide a better hope that gives us certainty in his work and our future. So let's dive in. Certainly there is timeless scripture in all of truth and and also within uh, this, this passage in Romans, but I think it's important that we look at what this letter would have meant to the original hearers and the original receivers. So when we're talking about context, this is following the events of Jesus's ministry. Uh, Right now, I know our small group is going through the book of John, and we are right in the middle of Jesus's work and ministry to the Jews. This is after that. So spoiler alert, this is after Jesus has been crucified, has resurrected, and has gone back to be with the Father. And now we're in the book of Romans, which has 
a lot of early church history in it. And uh, Paul is writing to the church in Rome from the city of Corinth. Uh, He's collecting an offering for the poor, which his plan is to deliver it to those in Jerusalem, after which he planned to see those in Rome. He's writing to both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, which is a big theme of the letter. He's trying to unite these two groups who he's writing to, and he does it very personally. In fact, later in the book, he actually greets 26 people by name, which is interesting because Paul did not found the church in Rome. He didn't start the church in Rome. So these would be people largely who he did not know. And I was thinking about what that might look like for our church. It's kind of like if if we maybe supported a missionary up in Baltimore or Boston or somewhere, and they write a letter to our church. And we've never met them, and they said, I'm collecting an offering, I'm going to deliver it in D.C., and then I'm going to come through Fairfax, and I hope to see you at that point, right? And then he says, I'm so grateful for the ministry of Matt and for Dave and Ryan and Hang. And then he starts naming some of you by name. Paul has this very personal approach to the gospel, even in the book of Romans, when he's explaining some very complicated doctrinal theology. And in chapter 8, in particular, he focuses on this idea of expectant living or hope. And starting in verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So it's interesting that he says present sufferings. uh, the, The book of Romans was written in about A.D. 57. And I'll give you a little history quiz here. Does anybody know who was emperor of Rome in 57 A.D.? It was actually Nero, right? For those of you, even if you don't know early church history, if you just know history, you know that Nero, not such a friendly guy, especially to Christians. The twist here is that Nero's about 16 years old at the time. So his persecution of the early church has not yet begun in full. So even though he's emperor, when Paul's writing this, it's actually a time of relative peace for the early church. Now, I say relative because even though there's not necessarily outright persecution going on for the church in Rome, you don't have to look very far in history to know that we live in a fallen world, right? Whether it's 20 AD or whether it's 2020 AD, we don't have to look very far or very long before we are reminded that there are present sufferings in this world, right? It's an interesting comparison to today. When I think about the church here in America, and us in particular, I don't think I've ever had a prayer request in small group of somebody is going to be burned at the stake on that weekend, or somebody's going to be fed to lions, right? We have a lot of freedom to worship, to be here in a school, actually, to be together. But you look at the events of last year, you look at the events of this year and COVID and you have sickness and death and injustice and all you have to do is turn on the news for five minutes to be reminded that we live in a fallen world. So going back to our first theme of hope, we hope for better. That's our first overarching theme. But whatever present sufferings the early church was going through, whatever present sufferings you're going through, we hope for better. And this is our first point this morning. We hope for better. Jesus is better. Verse 18 again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are what? Are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be 
revealed to us. So about a month and a half ago, Janelle and I did a triathlon, and we've got a, a picture up here on the screen. This was the, the first uh, event I've, I've done like this, and for those of you who are not familiar, triathlon, you swim first, and then you do a bike, and then you run. And it's a really long distance, and it's really hard, and uh, I was feeling pretty nervous, but I, I got, I don't know, about halfway through the swim, and we had decided beforehand that we were going to do everything together. <clears throat> But I got about halfway through the swim, and I was actually feeling pretty good. I was feeling strong. So I turned it up a notch, and I'm cranking through the swim, and I'm feeling good. I'm stroking, and I pop out of the water, and we get off our wetsuits, and we jump on the bikes, and we, we, you know, we go biking out on the course. And it was down in Lake Anna in southern Virginia. It's a beautiful Saturday morning. The breeze is blowing. We're going by the lake. You've got some pretty views. And Janelle had trained a, little, a lot harder than I had. So... Uh, I had a great view of the back of her ponytail for pretty much the whole race, but I don't know, about halfway through, maybe three-quarters of the way through the bike, I started to feel something in my legs. I started to feel some present sufferings, if you will, <laughs> right here in my quads. And I'm like, this is not good. We're about halfway through, but I'm, I'm pushing through. And, and there's a transition area when you do a triathlon. You have to hop off your bike, and you go into the transition area, and then you move back out, and you, you do the run portion. So I hop off, and I highly encourage you, if any of you have not biked a long distance and then jumped off and run, you should try it, because it makes your legs feel like noodles. It's this really cool feeling. So I, I jump off, and I'm running, and uh, we're... I, the, the run was uh, 5K, so it was a little over three miles. And we're going along, and I don't know, probably about a mile in, my legs just start to lock up. And I joked with Janelle, I felt like a Lego man. I felt like I could only run like this with my legs just completely locked. And I'm feeling those present sufferings. But when you're in that moment, there's certain things that you're supposed to focus on, right? You're supposed to focus on what's right ahead of you, that tree or that mailbox, if I can just make it there. You're not supposed to look down. You're not supposed to dwell on the pain that you're feeling. You're not supposed to focus on what's aching in your body. If you can focus on what's ahead of you, you'll be better off because whatever is up there is better than what's here because when I'm there, I'll be closer to the finish. And we've got another picture here. This was as we crossed the finish line together. I did make it, so I did finish. Janelle was a little bit ahead of me, deservedly so, but uh, I, I did make it. And that's kind of the picture that I get here when I read this. I think about we're in the race now. That's where we are now. We're in the middle of the race, but we're looking ahead to what's going to be at the finish line. And, and I know for myself, when you round that last corner and you hear the noise, and you hear the people cheering, and the music, and they're calling out your name on the loudspeaker, and you cross the finish line, all of that stuff that you were going through, you just kind of forget about for a second. And certainly you're sore for a couple days after, but in that moment, you just kind of forget, right? It's not even worthy to be compared with those present sufferings that you were feeling as you were going through it. So we're moving on to verse 19. <clears throat> he says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly. You've got anxious longing and waiting eagerly. That's our hope, right? For what? For the revealing of the sons of God. Moving on to verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. Turn to your neighbor and say futility, right? 
not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So we've got these different elements here. He says subjected to futility in hope and then into what? And the creation will be set free into the freedom. We have this contrast. We're subjected in hope, but we will be set free into freedom, right? Now, this idea of subjection or, or to be placed under, that is something that Jews would definitely have understood. They're under Roman rule. They get this idea of subjection. But the twist is where he says, in hope. How can you be subjected and have hope? The Romans, and really any nation throughout history, when you subject somebody, you don't want to give them hope. You want to grind that out because you want total submission to your authority. And that's exactly what the Romans would have wanted. So we have this understanding of subjected to futility, but then he says, in hope, don't miss that. Only Jesus can provide this subjection to the creation, but in hope. Only through Jesus can we have that. And then he says, we'll be set free into the freedom. Going back to the race analogy, when we ran the triathlon, we subjected ourselves to the terms of the race, right? You have to do each event in order. You got to swim, then you bike, and then you run. You can't do one out of the order. You can't cheat. You can't cut corners. You can't jump on another path and uh, try to make it to the finish line quicker. But the whole time that you're running the race, the whole time that you're in it, you have hope, right? You're looking towards the finish line. Why? And that's this next part. The creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see that contrast of what we have now. We hope for better. Jesus is better. We are subjected now. Then we will be set free. And then Paul gives this interesting analogy of childbirth, where he says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Why childbirth? It's kind of a left turn a little bit. Not really what you would expect there, right? Childbirth is a joyous event. You're excited to meet this new person. You're excited to meet this baby. It's a good thing. Going through childbirth, a little tougher, right? So Janelle and I had our, our first uh, child last year. And um, all throughout the pregnancy process, it was difficult, to say the least. Um, you're, you've got aches and pains, and you have to go to the bathroom all the time. And I'll, I'll just leave it there. The, the childbirth is, you know, the pregnancy process is not necessarily the most fun thing, but I don't want to talk about it because I'm a man. I'm just glad I don't have to go through it. I'll say that. But as you're looking forward to it, you're looking with expectancy, right? That you're excited for what is to come. There's going to be a new person that you're going to meet. I've got a slide here of a sonogram. This was Ginny just a couple of weeks before she was born. It's pretty amazing the level of detail that are in sonograms now. But you see this, and I, I thought of this as kind of a, a picture or an image, because you see this person, 
And you're so excited, and it's like she's right there. You can almost, you, you know, it's like almost a selfie, basically. But she's not here yet, right? She's not born yet. And then you have the actual birth process, which happened for us on October the 15th. I remember we were standing in Santini's sandwich shop, and it was still during COVID, so all the, the chairs were on top of the tables. And it was just me and Janelle and I think one other person in the store. Nobody was eating out at the time. And I was over getting myself a drink, and I turn around, and I look over, and she's just like, hunkered up like this, having a contraction in line. And I was like, all right, well, it's time to go to the hospital. So we, we went to the hospital, and uh, we went through that whole process, which is, I had people describe it to me a number of different ways. Somebody told me it's electric. Somebody else told me it's the most intense thing you'll ever see or go through. Both of those are true. I, I, I think those fall short of what the childbirth process is really like. But it's intense and it's painful and it's difficult and it's stressful. And you're yelling at each other and you don't know. It's like, is this going to be okay? And then all of a sudden she's there. And this next picture was just a couple hours after she was born. And everything that you just went through that you experienced just kind of melts away. All of those sufferings, you just, you just forget about them. And she's there, and you can touch her. It's that same idea, this glory, not even, the suffering's not even worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits us. It's the same thing of being set free into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Can you think of another time in the Bible when a child was born? We're focusing on Advent and what this season is and what it means to us and to our faith and this baby being born as our hope is kind of the crux of our faith and what we believe. Verse 24 says, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? And you have three components to this verse. For in hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? Our, our second overarching theme is we hope for what we can't control, right? Jesus is in control. That's our second point. So this is focused on verse 24, and it's just one verse, but there is actually a, a lot to unpack here. And, and like I said, you've got these three pieces. Let's just focus on the first one. For in hope we have been saved, it's already done. It's already completed, right? That's kind of what Paul's saying here. It's like if I said, uh, I hope I can put this shirt on. That doesn't make sense. The shirt's already on, right? That's nonsense. Or if I said, I hope I can walk over here. If I have control over that, there's no need for hope because I can just exercise my control. I can just make it happen. But then says, Paul says, for who hopes for what he already sees? If I already have it, it makes no sense that I would hope for it. So I, I have kind of an equation here that we can put up on the screen. Anticipation plus a lack of control equals hope. If I'm looking forward to something, if I'm expectant, I'm anticipating it, and I can't control the outcome, then, therefore, I am hoping for it. I'm hoping that will happen. So I was wrestling with a, a way to explain this, and I, I thought of a personal example that I've kind of gone through. So about a year ago, uh, in my job, I decided I wanted to pursue a promotion. I wanted to go for the, the next level up. 
And uh, for one reason or another, it, it, it didn't happen. And it's been about a year now that I've made this known and I've been striving for this new position and it just hasn't worked out. Well, a couple of weeks ago, my boss stopped by my office. He pulled me aside and he says, you know, I know you've been looking forward to this. I know you've wanted this. I've got a position for you. And I want you to start probably end of December, maybe early January, right? It's there. He said, it's yours. But am I there yet? No. I still have to wait a little bit. And trust me, if I was in control, I would have started it last year, right? When I wanted to. But God is sovereign. He has sanctified me through the past year. And I know he has a way of doing this with each of us. But with that idea in mind, what people usually do is they go for as close to control as possible, if I can't actually control the outcome, I'll try to get the next best thing, right? Think of like a handshake agreement or, or what do they say in the movies? They say, you gave me your word, right? You try to get as close to that as possible. Even I'm guilty of this, so I actually had two options. I could have stayed in the branch I was in or moved to a different location. And that different location was the one that the uh, regional director is in charge of. Obviously, I chose that one because that's a better bet that the regional director will be able to Pursue, give me that promotion rather than the mid-level manager, right? So when, we, um, when, when we're, we're pursuing this and we're trying to do it of our, our own accord, what, what we want to, so that we can exercise control, but Paul says we don't have to do that. He says you've already been saved. You already have the shirt on. You've already walked over there. The baby has already been born. Jesus is in control. And that should be the end of the sentence, right? If we believe what we say we believe and hope we've been saved, period. But classic Paul, there's a comma there, right? There's more to it. He says the second part, but hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already sees. Why would he put that there? It, it almost doesn't even make sense if you think about it. Hope you've been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already sees. Why are these two parts of the sentence right next to each other? And that, my friends, is the mystery of the gospel, right? If we go back to our equation, anticipation plus a lack of control equals hope. To us, at this part, it almost sounds like Paul is saying anticipation plus control equals hope. Really what he's saying is anticipation plus Jesus in control equals gospel hope. Amen? And that is completely different from anything that we can come up with or we can hope for here in this life on earth. Jesus is in control and a gospel hope is a certainty. It's completely different from anything else that we might hope for in our life. And that's kind of the perfect segue to our last point, which is this. We hope for what hasn't happened yet. Jesus came, and he is coming again. Verse 25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. I think this verse makes a lot more sense for us as humans, it, it works more so within our natural linear understanding of time, right? It hasn't happened yet. It's in the future. i got to wait until it happens. Yeah, that, that's easy, right? I get that. But 
if you look at it in context of what we just went through in verse 24, you still have sort of this oxymoronic just juxtaposition between these two verses because he says, if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Great, good, future, got it. I still got to wait for it. But again, back in verse 24, and said he didn't hope we have been saved. It's already happened. We have already been saved. How does that work? How, how can that, that be? In our limited human understanding, these two verses don't work together. And if you think about Paul writing to both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, he's explaining both sets of struggles that they would have dealt with. So think about a Jewish Christian. I grow up in the Jewish faith. I'm looking for a Messiah. Jesus comes. He's our Messiah. And then he dies. That would be hard for me to deal with. Even if I believe in who he is and who he said he was, I, I would struggle with that because he's dead now. My Messiah's dead, right? And then you have Gentile Christians who would not have grown up in the Jewish tradition and the Jewish faith, and they would see Jesus and believe in him. But it's kind of the same thing. It's like, all right, I'm in the freedom of Christ. I'm ready to go, and he's gone, right? And Paul's answering both of these things that they're struggling with. If we're being told we're subjected to being hopeful, that would make no sense. Either Jesus already rose from the dead or he didn't. How can this work? And again, Jesus is the only one that really solves for this equation because he bridges the gap of time. Think about verse 25. We wait eagerly with perseverance for it. That's future. What's to come? We're waiting for his second coming. You look at the present. It said earlier, we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us now, operating here within the present. But this is the key. Jesus also solves for the past. Because even if I can convince myself that I could white-knuckle my way past my own sin, or I could do good works to make myself worthy before the Lord here in the present and the future, there is nothing I can do about the past. There's nothing I can do about my sin that's already transpired, or the sin of all humanity that's already happened. And Jesus is the only one that solves for past present, and future. In hope, we have been saved, and now with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Jesus came, and he is coming again. Amen? The past couple years have been difficult, to say the least. And again, Paul writes about these present sufferings. I think this passage is such a reminder to us that we have hope. And if we truly believe that, if we have that certainty, it will change the way you live. Whether you're dealing with depression or anxiety or you're frustrated with your circumstances or your job situation or if you have suicidal thoughts or whatever it is you are dealing with, you have this hope, this gospel hope in Jesus that we read about here in Romans chapter 8, which is completely different from anything that you can come up with. It's a reminder to us that Jesus is our hope. We already said it, but the big idea this morning is this. Only Jesus can provide a better hope that gives us certainty in his finished work and our future. And look at this. Only Jesus can provide a better hope, right, 
Our first point is we hope for better. Jesus is better. Only he can provide a better hope that gives us certainty. That's our second theme. We hope for what we can't control. Jesus is in control in his work and our future. He already came and he is coming again. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. Verse 7 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. We're focusing on Advent during this month, and this same baby boy would eventually be the one that would hang on a cross as an atonement for all the sins of the world, past, present, and future. He died for my sins, and he died for yours. But it all started on that night in a manger. And when he was born, everything changed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a hope in you that is far beyond anything that we might hope for, far beyond any certainty that we could come up with. God, you are a reminder to us that no matter what we're going through, we've already been saved. The work has already been accomplished. We thank you for your goodness to us. We are undeserving that your mercies are new every morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen.